Welcome to the Sense of Soul podcast. We are your hosts, Shannon and Mandy. Grab your coffee, open your mind, heart, and soul. It's time to awaken. Today we have with us Jai Dev Singh. He is the world-renowned Kundalini yoga teacher, Ayurvedic specialist, and the founder of the Life Force Academy and podcast host of the Jai Dev show. It's such an honor to have him with us today. We can't wait to be students and learn from him. Shanna and Mandy, cool. It's nice to see you both. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. You know, you were one of the first Facebooks that I discovered in my journey. And it could have been because of your lovely, amazing wife, uh, Simrit, which we definitely will have to talk about. She's a beautiful singer. She's a beautiful person. You are such a lucky man. And <laughs> I can't wait to hear how you guys met and how you started on your journey. And I also have a lot of questions about how you came to, is it Sikhism? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I grew up in a Jewish family in South Carolina and it was from, for the most part, a lovely upbringing, but teenage years were difficult. And I think because in those years we were really, really looking to find your sense of identity. And that was a struggle for me growing up in the part of South Carolina that I grew up where I was not like, I don't think I fit anywhere, (laughs) you know, trying to figure it out. And eventually though, I developed some uh, really challenging health problems and digestive challenges that had me kind of in and out of the hospital. And that sent me on a path to try to figure out how to heal myself because nobody could tell me what was going on for quite some time. And at first they were, they were even giving me painkillers, which made it worse. Cause it turns out what I really had going on was a uh, duodenal ulcer. So three, I had three large ulcers in the first part of the small intestines, which is called the duodenum. And eventually after many months uh, of going to different doctors, they, they just did the procedure where they put the camera down your, you know, they stick the, a camera down your throat and take pictures of your digestive system. And that's how they eventually diagnosed me. And, and so, so once we knew what they were, they were able to prescribe medicines, of course, that took care of the symptoms. However, I had to keep taking that, the, that medication, otherwise they would come right back. So that sent me on a path to really try to figure out how do I really heal myself so I don't need this stuff. And this was in my teenage years. And by the time I graduated high school and was going to college, I was really on a path of searching for that. But that also coincided with a deeper spiritual path that they were kind of one in the same. Because although I had a you know, relatively nice upbringing, still I was dissatisfied spiritually. And the first year that I had I had moved to Middle Tennessee near Nashville to go to the university there to study production in the recording industry, actually, because music has always been, you know, central to my life, my, my real love. And, and so I was endeavoring to go down that path. And I took, I met a guy and he invited me, he said, my, my yoga teacher's coming to teach here. He lived, he lived in Knoxville, his teacher, which was three hours away. And so there was going to be a yoga class. This kid I met, 
in his backyard at his house across from the campus. So I went to that and, you know, we were there waiting. The teacher wasn't showing up maybe like 45 minutes after it was supposed to start. Finally, this car rolls up and this guy gets out, looks real to me at that time, looks like, like a total trip. And he had some other people with them. And then they said, and they were musicians actually. And they sat down and it was just, you know, on the grass in the lawn and it was a Kundalini yoga class. And at that point in time in the, in the Southeast, there wasn't, there wasn't really yoga studios. You could, it was hard to find yoga. I didn't really even know what yoga was. I knew it had something to do with stretching and I knew it had something to do with spirituality. That's the extent of what I knew about it. And so I remember the night before in my dorm room, I was trying to stretch. It reminds me of my son now who's 16 because we take martial arts together. And he's, and I think when you're a teenager, you're growing kind of weird. And so when I remember trying to stretch in my dorm room, I couldn't even touch my knees, let alone my toes. And I think back, like, why couldn't I even touch my knees? But I think our bodies are just a little strange during that period of time. <laughs> and and because I was real nervous to take the class. I was like, will I be good enough? You know, will I be able to do yeah. it? And I don't even remember what we did in the class. I remember, I don't even remember how, if I liked it or not, but he did <laughs> another class the same day in the park in Nashville. And I went to that too. So I must've liked it. And, and then I remember, I felt like I was floating for like days afterwards when I walked around. I felt just so good and light in my body and my mind was crystal clear. And so I really, it had, a, it had quite an impact on me and I kept doing it and as much as I could, as much as he would come around. And then within probably a year, he was like, you know what, you should be, because he couldn't come that often. And I, he knew I was really into it. And he said, you should just teach this stuff. And that was on. So I would start teaching on the campus just to other kids that were going to the university and bunches of people would show up on the lawn there and, you know, fast forward 20 something years and I'm still doing it. <laughs> wow. Okay. I have to ask him being 45 minutes late. Is that just like yogi time? Because <laughs> I think I, I know it was that particular yogi's time. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be 45 minutes late. <laughs> yeah, it, I've gone to one with a friend Kelly of mine down in Congress Park here and mm -hmm. same thing. They're, they're pretty late. So <laughs> maybe they're just so peaceful. They're chilling in the car, listening to some good jams, taking their time. <laughs> yoga classes in the park. Yeah. What a beautiful story. And I thought a lot about my son while you were, you were talking about it because he's 22. He has, his hamstrings are so tight. Even though he's an athlete, he can barely, barely touch his toes. He's on his spiritual journey. He's getting ready to hang up his, you know, cleats. I just hope he can, you know, find his journey through okay. something as amazing as you, because for me, it took you know, death and rehabs to get me on mine. <laughs> so works. Hey, Jai, you know what? I was going to ask you, I saw that you really love the moon. The moon? And I do too. But, you know, just some people, it just really sticks out. And it seems like it's something that you really, really are connected to, you know, the night sky. Yes, particularly the Vedic astrology is what I pay attention to, which is a, a the astrology that comes It's you know, deeply interwoven into the yogic system. Of course, one of the huge parts of, of that is the moon, because one of the things that is always changing on a daily basis is the moon. Whereas the big planets like Saturn and Jupiter, they move very slowly relative, whereas the moon is changing, uh, changing its position really every day. 
And so to get a good sense of what's going on in our lives and to have a sense of ah, feeling like this today, well, you can often get pretty good insights by just paying attention to the lunar cycles. And so, yeah, I love the moon. And of course, I, you always think that people who kind of discredit astrology, well, astrology's I always feel like it's as much of an art as it is a science. But we know the moon affects the tides in the ocean. That's a fact. And we know that our bodies are mostly made up of water. That's a fact. So why wouldn't the moon? We know that that police uh, police departments and hospitals track the moon because they know if there's a full moon, they're going to have more activity. And when there's a new moon, they're going to have less. So it makes sense to pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. I love the moon. I feel like it, the moon's been my teacher lately, especially. What do you mean? Yeah. How so? Well, I had a few episodes with the moon this month. <laughs> one was with the uh, wanting crescent moon and one was with the waxing crescent, mm. which is in um, the triple goddess, the maiden and the crone. Mm -hmm. And I've always been very connected to the full moon. Uh -huh. But when I sat with the wanting moon one morning, mm -hmm. it was cold. You could see my breath. Mm. She spoke to me and she, she really used like everything I was experiencing to teach me. She's like, you can't always see your breath, right? You, you can right now, but you can't always, but you know that it's there. And it's the same with me. You know, you can't see all of me, but I'm here and I am still the moon that you love so much. And to not discredit that new moon energy and to sit with it. And that's what I did. That is what I received. It was very beautiful. It was a lot deeper than that too. I but bet. then a few days later, saw the crone moon mm. and she was in the sky with the sun and they were equal. Mm. And I looked up and all of us here, I'm like, here we go again, this, this very thin moon in the sky. And I sat there and all of a sudden I realized one cannot be without the other. Dark cannot be without light. You know, masculine can't be without feminine. Creation can't even happen or exist without both. And then all of a sudden this dove just like flew over my head, one, and it was so white and beautiful. I felt so very connected to um, divine wisdom. Mm. Yeah, that's lovely nature she is always communicating and, mm -hmm. and if we open our minds to that and we open our hearts to that i think you know, i think any of us can can experience things of that nature mm. so that's lovely i always find i always i'm always endeavoring to to have my awareness in that place where i can experience the communications that are happening all the time so that's that's so beautiful yeah okay so i have to know can you touch your toes now oh yeah i can touch my toes <laughs> can you touch your nose to your toes <laughs> um, i cannot uh all right so let's tell our listeners about kundalini yoga and how it could be beneficial yeah well kundalini yoga it's when people think in their minds yoga, probably if the imagery they see, especially if you're not very familiar with yoga, it's a little different than what Kundalini yoga looks like. And in, and in other ways, the same. All the different forms of yoga are ultimately 
endeavoring to do the same thing, and that's to cause a person to have a good vitality in the body, a centered, clear, aware, and relaxed mind, and thus have the ability to experience more and more the unfolding of our authentic self. Kundalini, the word in and of itself, refers to what's often uh, talked about or described as like a dormant power that's at the center of every person. And in fact, at the center of every living being, but particularly what we're talking about in this case is human beings. And so in the center of every person, we have an untapped potentiality. And to be very short, Kundalini Yoga is the art and the science of unlocking and awakening that untapped potentiality. What does that look like? It looks like a greater, a greater sense of fulfillment, a greater sense of purpose, a greater force of creativity that's flowing through our lives, and uh, an expanded sense of awareness. And so, so generally speaking, that's what Kundalini energy is all about. However, what it also related to is one sense of identity, like where I started out in my journey, we're all trying to figure out, you know, what am I all about? Who am I? And so the that process of discovering one's identity is no joke, because there's a part of us that is temporary in nature, our bodies are not going to last forever. And certain parts of our personalities are not going to last forever. Even we go through little mini deaths and rebirths all the time in our life. Like our, our, our kids, if we have kids, they were babies and they become toddlers. And so you have the death of the baby and the birth of the toddler, so to speak. And then our, our young kids, they become teenagers. And every one of those processes are like a little death and rebirth, not only for that, that child, but also for their parents. And so there's a grieving that that can take place for all these little transformations, or we go through a major relationship breakup, and that'll totally transform our identity, especially if it was a long relationship, and then that relationship ends, and maybe you never would have guessed it would have end, and then it ends, or maybe, and, and that can totally transform our sense of what we thought we were. And so yoga takes it to another level, of course, because there's a part of us that is, that is non-dying, there's a part of us that that is infinite in nature is the idea. That's the exploration to see if we can discover that. And then there's a part of us that is temporary that will have to be shed. And so the much, much deeper exploration of our identity is to, can you find out, can you experience the part of yourself that doesn't ever die? And that's on a deeper level what what the kundalini process is all about so it's all of that on the very simple level of energizing the cells of your body with greater vitality and energy to get the to get the the sense of lightness of being in your body and mind to give the mind a type of relaxed and expansive intuitive awareness and thus more and more with little baby steps you'll start to experience your true identity and that's kundalini wow that's beautiful that's good. You know, I love the different, you know, avenues that yoga has. Um, like, cause I love the curtain for me, just the vibrations, you know, in enchanting mantra is so powerful for me, which actually helped me much with my digestive issues. <laughs> cool. Yeah. And, but the Kundalini is 
um, yoga that uses a lot of breath work. It does use a lot of breath work. Yeah. And it uses a lot of, well, it, it really, what the one thing that makes Kundalini yoga unique, it, it does use a lot of pranayama, which is breath work. And, but it uses a lot of physical exercise, breath work, often mantra practice, like, like you're saying, chanting and meditation, uh, I, uh, meditation exercises, but it's really using all of that simultaneously together, which gives it its kind of its power and why, what makes it mm -hmm. so effective in working in such a short amount of time as well. And for this day and age where most people do not have much time, uh, time seemingly has seemed to sp speed up where our, the, the average attention span of human beings has gone down, 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 down mm -hmm. over the last 10 to 20 years, rather dramatically. So that, that, is indicative of in a certain relative way time speeding up of course time isn't isn't objectively speeding up but subjectively based on on this highly connected information age we're all working to deal with which puts a tremendous amount of stress on the nervous system the body and the mind kundalini yoga is an excellent practice that is, that is in a certain way designed for this period of time. So I think that's one of the major benefits of Kundalini yoga is it being so effective in a sh relative short amount of time and it's strong enough that it can really help deal with the tremendous stress we're all dealing with on our endocrine systems, yeah. nervous systems right now. And yes, and the breathing part is a big part of it. So what do you think about like goat yoga? I mean, when, when do we take, when have we taken it a little too far? <laughs> I don't know nothing about you no know, goat yoga, but. <laughs> Is that like a Colorado thing? <laughs> no. I've seen it on the internet. <laughs> I actually, I was actually driving out to like Castle Rock up in our mountains um, like two days ago and I saw it going on. Oh, you saw on some... it going on in person. Wow. Yeah. Oh, on some land. Wow. I, I pulled over. <laughs> pulled over and I was like laughing I'm like I, first of all I could never experience it because I'm allergic to goats but <laughs> they're just such strange animals how they like to climb on things and the way they like prance and hop like they're funny to watch but it was very entertaining to pull over and watch <laughs> yeah animals are amazing I mean as soon as my hands even go towards my dog it knows that Reiki's coming and he'll turn over and move different oh. ways for me to give him Reiki and he also knows this, you know, when I'm meditating, he'll come and sit down next to me here. And I think that he really enjoys that. You can sense like this peace that comes over this very hyper freaking dog. So <laughs> it's amazing. And I was on your website earlier. I had taken your test to figure out my Ayurvedic body. Uh, your Ayurvedic body mind type. Yeah. I really would love, you know what? We've never had anybody on our podcast. Uh, we have like well over 200 episodes. And so we've never had anyone on to talk about God. Ayurvedic. And then the doshas go with that because I received my first body was a kapha and then pita was my secondary. And then I had a third one. Bottom. So, all right, I'll break it down for you. I'll try to do it in a real simple way. Okay, cool. Uh, so you can think of it like this is everybody's made up of all the uh, elements and in Ayurveda and yoga are two sides of the same coin. Ayurveda is the healing side of yoga. Yoga is in a certain way, the spiritual side of Ayurveda. They're really, they're two limbs up from the same tree. 
And that's what's so beautiful about these systems in India is Ayurveda is also the traditional medical system of India and still to this day is used all over the place. So it's not, this is not new age stuff. I always kind of push back against that because this stuff has been around for a long, long time. Ayurveda probably good 5,000 years and it's still working because it's the principles of nature. So it's not like that ever goes out of trend. And so according to yoga and Ayurveda, that everything is made up of five primary elements. We know the four, earth, water, fire, and air. And then there's a fifth one called space, which is the Sanskrit term for that is akash, which is space is like the medium through which all life travels. So for instance, think of your body, your body is, so earth, it would be the more structure part of the body like the things you can touch and feel, which gives you, you mass and solidity. So earth is really the principle of solidity and stability. Anything that gives you solidity and stability is earth element. So we don't mean just literally earth or dirt or something like that, but you have to, un they're, they're, they're principles of nature. Water, think in your body, all the fluids of the body. So it's not, water is not just H2O, it's anything that gives fluidity and moisture. So put some saliva in your mouth. There's water element. You have the fluid uh, environment of your eyes. There's a watery environment of the eyes. You even have in the in the stomach, you have a fluid that, that holds the enzymatic, uh, uh, the enzymes, hydrochloric acids, and this type of stuff. And that brings us to our next element, which is fire. And fire is anything that gives heat or transformation. So if you're, say, eating an apple, that apple is going to go into your stomach, it's going to meet the hydrochloric acid, it's going to break it down, and then it's going to go into your intestines, and there's going to be further enzymatic secretions that break that apple down, so that you can then assimilate the nutrients of that apple into your bloodstream and then eliminate out the parts of the apple that aren't useful to the human body. That's called healthy digestion. So it's fire. Anytime you feel warmth in your body, that's also fire element. So your blood that's circulating around through your limbs and circulating nutrients to your tissues and is giving warmth. If you're having cold hands and feet, then we could use a little more circulation of your warmth. This is fire element. Anything that gives heat and warmth is fire element. And then you go to air, anything that moves, mobility is the principle of air. So your nervous system is ruled by, for instance, by the air element. You have a, a thought in the mind, the brain and its electrical currents then trigger your body. All of a sudden you're walking or you're talking or you're doing something. Anything that moves is air element, or you could take a deep breath in. Air element, air element. And then final is space. And this is space is the channels through which everything flows. So you have the channels of your circulatory system. In the woman, there's the channels of lactation and there's the digestive channel. The main channel they say is in Ayurveda and Sanskrit, they call it the Mahavahashrota, the great channel, which begins at the mouth and then ends where you eliminate. And, and, but then there's all these other mini channels. So really what the human body can be thought of is earth, water, fire, and air moving through channels of space in a very kind of poetic and simple way. Now there's three main body types because every one of us, each of us are made up of all five elements. All things in nature are made up of earth, water, fire, air, and space, but we all have different combinations of them. So if you're, for instance, a 
predominantly kapha person, well, kapha is the combination of earth and water. So that means that that person has a, a relative to the other three elements, more predominance of earth and water. The three doshas or body types are vata, pitta, and kapha. So on one side, you have kapha, which is earth and water. On the other side, you have vata, which is air and ether. And in the middle, you have fire, which is pitta. Mm -hmm. And so, for instance, I'm predominantly a pitta person, so I predominantly fire. And I'm secondarily a kapha person, so secondarily earth and water. And so if you are predominantly a kapha person, that means you're predominantly earth and water and secondarily fire, if the quiz was accurate. The quizzes are, are often accurate and sometimes not so much uh, for a, uh, a couple of different reasons, but, but they always get you on a, uh, started with some insights. So what does that mean and why is that useful? So... For instance, if a person has a predominant amount of vata in their constitution, they'll tend to be more petite type person, less, uh, less muscle mass, less fat tissue. They're going to have more narrow features like longer, more oval shaped faces, thinner nose bridge, thinner lips. Uh, but they'll also be very more enthusiastic people like light, like air and space. They'll be light. They'll be very creative. Uh, they, they, they're often really fun to be around and, but on the other side, they can tend towards worrying and anxiousness and overwhelm because these are the, more, the, the less desirable expressions of the air element. On the other side, you have the kapha person, which is kind of the total opposite, which is more rounder face, thicker lips, thicker skin, thicker hair, wider nose bridge, shorter extremities, whereas the vata person has longer extremities, longer fingers longer toes, and the kapha mm -hmm. person's going to have shorter fingers, shorter toes, shorter neck. A vata person will have a longer neck, makes their head seem almost lighter somehow. And a kapha person will, will just be more stockier person, generally speaking. And mm -hmm. so that's more earth and water. And so that kapha person will ha be a person that will have much more uh, uh, ability to not get too stressed out. They, they can be very content. They can, they have a sense of sweetness about them and they can also be very devotional. And on the other hand, Kafa people can tend towards lethargy, complacency. They're the people that it's easier to gain weight. Vata people, it's hard to put weight on. In the middle, you have fiery people like Pitta people. So mo more moderate features, whereas the other two is like you had longer and shorter, thicker and thinner. In the middle, it's, it's more moderate features, but there's often for Pitta people, a more intense nature, deeper set eyes, they have an intensity about them, they can have redder skin, they can, Pitta people, fire energy gives intelligence and good sense of leadership. And on the other side of it, they can be angry, they can tend towards anger, they can tend towards uh, the more hotter emotions such as resentment, anger, jealousy, this type of thing. So regardless of what our body type is, there's going to be the more desirable expression of it and the less desirable expression of it. I like to say it's you have your assets and your liabilities and you're trying to increase your assets and decrease your liabilities. So if I'm a Pitta person, I'm not going to try to not be a Pitta person because that's impossible. This is how my architecture is. So therefore, I need to make sure I don't get overheated. I make sure I, I am getting the more desirable expressions of fire element, uh, such as uh, intelligence, 
warmth, warm heartedness, radiance, good glow, brightness of the eyes, a luster of the skin versus like overly red skin, inflammatory responses in the body and the mind and the emotional body. All of that inflammatory is fire stuff. So it gives good insight. So when you understand your body type, number one, if you're out of balance right now, which we all are in some way or another, it gives you the wisdom on how to get back into balance. Because if there's a, too much fire, then you're going to take use the foods and the herbs and so forth to decrease that fire. If there's too much earth and water, you're going to apply the opposite qualities through food, diet, and yogic practices and decrease the kapha so that you decrease the excess earth and water so things aren't too muddy and you're not getting too lethargic or too complacent and you feel motivated enough. Or if it's on the vata side and things are too anxious and you're feeling worrying, worrying, worrying and overwhelm, then we need to add stability. We need to add more earth and water because you already have so much air and ether. We need more earth and water. And then that's going to help the nervous system relax, going to give you a little more sense of contentment, stability, and everything's going to work better. And so that's what it is. You can go take that, that quiz on our website. And then I have, uh, there's a whole free training that, that then unpacks it for you. And then for people who really love it, you can take the whole course. And the course isn't designed for practitioners. It's designed for families or for mm. people who have families that want to learn this for their life, not go into medical practice, but to integrate this into everyday life for everyday people. Ayurveda for the people. Wow. wow. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> so I had 41% kapha, 34% is it pita, pita. and then um, 23% yeah. vata. I would say, you know, and, and looking at you, because you can, someone trained, you can tell a good bit just looking at a person. It seems pretty accurate. I, I think the pitta may, may be, uh, I think pitta kapha seems about right for you. Kapha pitta, pitta kapha. Mm -hmm. We could explore more and then we could dial it in, but mostly, it, you know, and, and when you take the training, it really unpacks it to where like these little differences of percentages aren't going to matter that much because really what it teaches you to do is just how to pay attention to what your body and mind are communicating to you. And then you learn how to antidote anything that's challenging or problematic and, and then how to amplify the things that are working quite well. Wow. That's cool. It's intriguing and it's another just beautiful way to bring awareness to your body and to your yeah emotions. I, I, I mean, immediately when you said fire, I was like, oh, that's got to be me. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely uh, pretty fiery. Yeah. Well, <laughs> fiery people are also, you know, intellectual often or good researchers and all, it, it comes in all, other, all sorts of ways. But yeah, like I think you're exactly right. It gives a language to the body and a language to the mind and to the emotions. And in a certain way, it's kind of like a poetic language too. So when you can put language around these things, it really helps us to kind of identify, understand, and then also evolve and grow. Mm -hmm. That's what I was thinking. It's like a recipe or some ingredients to help you alchemize something. Yeah. And isn't that what Ayurveda, doesn't it mean science or something like that? Well, Ayus means life and Veda is like knowledge or science okay. sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Science of life. 
science of life. It's really the art and science of life. I'm loving the nutrition piece of it and like figuring out like what's weighing you down, what's making you heavy, how you can feed the other piece that needs some more attention. Like that's beautiful piece. Well, think of it like this. When the springtime comes around at the time we're recording this, we're moving out of the winter and towards the spring. And so all winter long, it's been cold. And then mother nature, she comes in and turns up the heat a little bit and the rains come and that makes the soils moist. And then you get the green sprouts that are coming. So the springtime is the earth and water time of the year, the kapha time of the year. Then in the summer, long days, short nights, hot. It's the pitta, fiery time of the year, three seasons in Ayurveda and then fall, winter. So, so early fall is part of summer and late fall is part of winter because it's three seasons based on the three main harvests of the year. This is the principles of nature. And so then you go winter and that's the air and ether time of the year because that's when everything is dying. That's when everything is getting lighter. And so these are bioenergies of life. In your body, you have three primary qualities of cellular activity. You have anabolism, which is the production of, of growth in the body. So when people take anabolic steroids, it makes them bigger and stronger. So you have anabolism. That is kapha, that is earth and water, that's promoting growth. Then you have the opposite of that, it's catabolism, which is a purification of the tissues. And that is catabolism is like air and ether, vata. And then the balance of those two of a person's anabolism and catabolism creates your metabolism, which is mm-hmm. fire. So that's why fire is in the middle there, earth and water on one side, air and ether on the other side. In the middle, you have fire. And to whatever, we're metabolic organisms, the human body and mind. And so if our fire is too low, we're going to get diseased. If the fire is too hot, it's going to create disease. And so in all these cases, it's about finding balance. So we move with the seasons and then you blend your body type with the seasons. So if I'm a kapha person in the kapha season, I have to be really mindful of that to not let the kapha overflow too much because I'm not going to feel good. Or if you're a hot person in the hot season, that's when you become really mindful. So these are all the principles of nature. And then it goes in time, wow. times of the life, little chubby babies, kapha time of the life, you squeeze their cheeks, they're sweet. And then they come into the teenage years and they're a little less sweet. They're getting towards the pitta time of life and pitta time is middle age of life. Then we become elderly elders. Then they're in the winter time of our life, the vata time of life. So these are bioenergies that, that govern nature. And so Ayurveda is just pointing it out and saying, get in alignment with mother nature and things are going to flow. It's like, you didn't realize your boat was going upstream this whole time. Just turn it around. It's a lot of, uh, you know, and it goes back to what Shanna was saying that the moon was her teacher. I mean, truly it's about mother earth being the teacher of, of it all. And it, this is so very similar to like Taoism. I took a class about Taoism and the different elements. It's very similar. It's been amazing. There's always so many connections. Absolutely, Taoism. Different parts of the world, but of course they're interwoven in connection. It's a different language of saying, yeah. you know, if Lao Tzu is calling it the Tao, this yeah. is the same thing. You know where my mind went? My mind started like floating around the world and thinking about how like there's people that live in certain areas, like in the desert, that aren't going to be able to feed certain parts of them because of the lack of water and like throughout like time, how you know, how it had to have been such a struggle for people to find that balance because of the space and the places they lived in. And that's where my mind went. (laughs) 
Sure. And the, the, also the wisdom that comes out of those cultures because desert cultures and, and see all the indigenous cultures, they knew all this stuff. So that this mm-hmm. is one of the values of the Indian system is very well preserved. And so and even though they, it was difficult to preserve it because first you had the tyrannical Mughal empires coming in, destroying the Ayurvedic schools, destroying the yogic institutes. And then you had the British come in and still it survived. It survived through teacher to student relationships is how it was preserved. And so, but in all the indigenous populations, they have versions of all of this all over the world. So in the Sahara Desert, they'll drink hot mint tea even in the hot, hot desert, because they understand how to keep the hot tea is going to help you perspire and cool you off. But they're using something like mint, which is one of the herbs that will help you sweat, but will also cool your blood. You know, there's a lot of wisdom that comes from all over the world. And this is just kind of tapping into that. So if you have like a pit bull who's like very fiery and, and, you know, they're known to like be very vicious, like, can you use this kind of practice with animals as well? Sure. I mean, you have to, would need to know like what kind of herbs are okay for animals. And you can look at different breeds of dogs and definitely pit bulls are pitta dogs or like border collies, you know, that are so intense about the ball that they want to catch. And they're like, you ever, <laughs> you ever done fetch with a border collie? They're so intense about their balls. I have a lab who also likes his balls, but he then he gets distracted. He loves to fetch, but he gets distracted because he wants to eat the acorns that have fallen. And so all of a sudden, like, where did Blue go? I was throwing the ball and now he just, these labs have more kapha. He wants to eat. So here's um, a yeah, thank you. Of Ayurveda that's really important to know. So if you're kapha, so, so it's like increases like. And so kapha people or dogs, <laughs> animals, the kapha people are the ones that need to get, would benefit the most from getting up early in the morning, well before the sun rises, exercise, and they're the least likely to do it. Vata people are the ones who would benefit most from having a steady routine, a good circadian rhythm, eat lunch at the same time, eat dinner. They would benefit the most from it. They're the least likely to do it. They're air element. They want a snack. They want, you know, eat three solid meals and don't eat between the meals and, you know, maybe lay off the salads and alfalfa sprouts so much, especially in the cold months, but they're the ones that want it. Light creases light. Pitta people are the ones that would be best to stay away from the hot sauce, but it's the fiery pitta guy that's like, pass me the hot sauce. And whatever you don't want or don't want to do, that's what your body needs to do. Well, no, not necessarily. <laughs> There's a principle in Ayurveda is when you're, yeah. when you're in balance, you will desire the things that will keep you in balance. But when you're okay. out of balance, you'll desire the things that will keep you out of balance. <laughs> And of course, yeah. we have a comment. like attracts like. I got like it. Attracts like. So there's some certain like innate tendencies that are good to disrupt when they're okay. unhealthy tendencies. And so it's the part of the process of yoga and Ayurveda is discovering what all that is. What are the tendencies uh, that I have that are actually not helpful? Like the way this one right here, coffee all day long. Well, so, you know, it's all about context. So coffee all day long, the kapha person is going to be handle that better. The vata person, it's going to dry them up, pit the people, it'll aggravate them some, but you know, a little bit, it's shouldn't be rules to become a slave to, but guidelines to yeah. serve you. I love that. So not rules to enslave you, but guidelines to serve you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're like me, you're just going to rebel against rules. 
So I wanted to ask you again about the, the Sikh community, the Sikh you community. You said it right the first time. I mean, I, I usually oh. say Sikh too, but the proper pronunciation is Sikh. Sikh. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I mean, because I read before that it was like the, one of the youngest religions. But what I find is so odd about that is that it comes from maybe stemming from one of the oldest, because <laughs> it seems very Hindu in many ways. It is. Yeah. Well, it the way we uh, end up contextualizing these things in, in our modern world is a little oversimplified because, yes, the Sikh Dharma, as I, I like to call it, or, or in India, they'll call it Sikhi isms i try to stay away from although it's fine yeah. communication because that's what religions are i don't think of it so much of as a religion although many people do but just for me i just don't think in that context but it blossomed out of the great vedic traditions of which also the hindu tradition came out of and this but it's also very much influenced by the sufi tradition of islam the mystical islam it emerged out of northern india and what is also now pakistan so it started with a great poet sage of North India uh, named Guru Nanak, who lived about 500, just over 550 years ago. And like all these great spiritual traditions, this was a person who was uh, extremely uh, luminous, illuminated, but he never lectured, he never preached. All he did was traveled around with his close disciple, which was a musician, and he sang. And Nanak himself was a musician. They played the instrument called the Rabab, which is a lute type of instrument. And he never gave any formal teachings. Everything we know we have from Guru Nanak he came through song. And, and there, we have a lot from Guru Nanak, but it's all poetry. And it's beautiful. And now if you go to northern India or anywhere in India and actually all over the world, you'll find Sikh people that all emerge from this. But yes, yeah, absolutely a fruits that blossomed out of the great ancient traditions of the Vedas. So on one hand, it's, you know, 550 years old. On the other hand, it has roots that go thousands of years back. Yeah, definitely not new age. And I just, I, you know, I'm also curious to know if you kept any of your your Jewish roots. I mean, like, cause like lately I've been kind of really into like the Gnostic gospels and I've been looking into the Kabbalah mm -hmm. and, you know, just find, well, again, like we just said, there's so many things that are so connected among all of the, you know, religions and cultures around the world. Well, yeah, absolutely. You know, it kind of took me getting away from it and discovering and really getting more deeply into spirituality, finding it on my own to then realize it was there all along. And particularly in, in Kabbalah, I really, I really love. But yeah, the Jewish tradition is beautiful. I don't really practice so much Judaism, but I have, you know, tremendous love for it and appreciation. And I come from a Jewish family, so how can you not? It's in my, I grew up, you know, going to the synagogue couple times a week, going to Hebrew school multiple times a week, all through my childhood. So, you know, you can't get away from it. And I don't care to get away from it. I'm not trying to. I, I think it's yeah. beautiful. And I really appreciate that part of uh, my culture. Mm -hmm. I like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm curious to know what kind of practices you have right now with, with the world the way it is. Mm. Well, you know, I have my meditation and yoga practices I do, but I think more and more the main primary practice I have and part of the reason of doing yoga and meditation is to continually endeavor to increase the compassionate, the, the love of the compassionate heart. And what I mean by that is 
This is what in the Buddhist tantras they call bodhicitta, which is it has two primary qualities. On one hand, it's it's boundless compassion, and on the other hand, is wisdom, because we need both. And they describe it like two wings of the same bird. And when we're talking about what that means is boundless compassion is typically you have empathy or compassion for those whom we have a some sort of positive relationship with such as our either our beloved family members and friends and folks we adore and then often we're not reserving empathy or compassion for those who we disagree with and are triggered by and maybe find you know repulsive so the practice there though is to actually expand the generosity of one's heart and the same way you would feel compassion and love for an ailing friend or an, your ailing mother or your ailing lab whatever it may be that you can take that same feeling of love and kindness and then to to practice, it's like anything else, it takes practice, you have to strengthen it like you would strengthen any muscle. And you would extend that not only towards those whom you find uh, have positive relationships with, but also and it's difficult, those you have what you could say negative relationships with adversarial energy relationships with whether they're people you personally know, those usually have the most emotional triggers, or it's some politician that you find repulsive, or some leader of some country who's creating war on other. And that doesn't mean that you support that person in hideous activity. It means that you are able to recognize that they too are suffering. If anyone is going to harm someone else, that means they are suffering and they are acting out of suffering. And it is deserving of compassion. But that's why bodhicitta is not just compassion, it's wisdom and compassion. Because compassion without wisdom, you can create codependencies. But with wisdom, you create good boundary and you understand. And so what we're talking about is an internal process in the, in the sanctuary of our own heart and mind, how we're developing a more loving relationship towards living beings. So there's three categories of living beings. There's those whom we adore, there's those who we find repulsive, and then there's those that are neutrals. And the more difficult one can be the neutrals because there's no emotional energy there to work with. Your enemies or your adversarial energies in your life, that's energy you can work with. And so that's why like folks like, or somebody like Dalai Lama, he does compassion meditation for the leadership of the Chinese government all the time. And the, those who actually tortured his beloved teachers, he hasn't been able to visit his homeland since the 1940 or 1950s, I can't remember. So the neutrals, this kind of just vast ocean of living beings, that's also part of it. And that's what we do in part of what we work with in meditation practices and Kundalini yoga practices is endeavoring to expand that part of ourselves because if you have genuine compassion towards not only your beloveds but also adversarial energies in your life and neutrals you're a pretty blissful person actually you're a pretty happy person and so that's where my main focus is you know i just have to say listening to you is so easy i don't know what other words i mean you are such a great teacher like i'm able to hear it process it and absorb it. I mean, what a great teacher you are. Thank you. Yeah. I'm soaking it all in. You're very calming. Your energy is amazing. 
And like Mandy said, you give some space for processing. Yeah. Thank you. You're amazing. You're a gift to this world. Thank you. Thank you so much for saying all that. Yeah. Um, Tell us about the Life Force Academy. Thank you so much for saying all that. Yeah. Um, Tell us about the Life Force Academy. I was just going to say, we'll definitely make sure we send you ladies membership to Life Force Academy. Uh, Life Force Academy is a cool thing. It's developed over years. We have now members in over 60 countries around the world. And it's basically so people can, you know, use these practices in a very easy, fresh, inspired way, not just the practices, but also the concepts, the ideas, the teaching part of it. And whether it's quick practices, I just need a 15 minute tune up, you know, in the beginning of my day or uh, the meditation to have a good, deep, restful sleep, or I'm feeling nervous and overwhelmed and I need the meditation to relax the nervous system and to ease the worrying mind, or I want to take a full yoga class, which is I recommend because then you're going to get all of it. And you're going to get not only the full exercises, meditations, a complete practice, but it's also going to practice with on the canvas of these teachings to where, okay, we're talking about love and we're talking about compassion. So then it gives a little more of a bigger context for when you're doing the spinal work and you're doing the shoulder shrugs and you're using the rhythm breathing we have some developed ideas of why we're doing it and what it's doing and how it's working. And so all of that is in the Life Force Academy, libraries of complete yoga classes, quick practices, community, live streams. I teach every week in the Life Force Academy and then everything's on demand. So it's a pretty cool thing. Yeah, we really love it. How many people are part of this Life Force Academy? Oh, well, I I don't know the exact numbers as many thousands and because we also have courses on Ayurveda courses on Kundalini yoga. And these are, you know, more in depth, deep dive studies and they're not just intellectual studies, but experiences that are going to take you through that. So we have our general membership, Mm -hmm. which is just a dollar to try it out for two weeks. And then it's just $25 a month and you have access to everything. There's always new things coming out every week. You know, so for the cost of, you know, in most yoga studios, one class these days, uh, you have access to the whole thing for $25 per month after the uh, dollar trial. Then the courses are the standalone courses you can purchase, and those are going to take more down deep dives in different areas of study. That is amazing. Hey, do you know Sean Johnson? Mm, I don't know. In the Wild Lotus fan? I don't think so. Oh, you need to know him. Hey. Yes. Yeah, they're amazing. We had him on. We did a really good episode with him if you want to listen to his. He actually released a few songs on our podcast. Oh, cool. But yeah. yeah, his music really, really touches me. And it's one of the reasons why I, I love that protein yoga so much because I can really feel it through him. I just, yeah, you got to look him up. You'll love him. <laughs> And speaking of, um, of music and, and, and beautiful people, how did you meet your wife? Uh, we met, well, not too long after the story I was telling you when I started teaching Kundalini Yoga, because I had left the recording industry uh, path that I was on because I, after I got so deep into yoga practice, I was finding myself not not going to class anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so I moved to Charleston, South Carolina, where I thought, well, I would study uh, religious studies in the College of Charleston. 
And mm. so I moved there because the, also I found that the director, the head of the Department of Religious Studies at the College of Charleston had written a book on Kundalini. And mm. however, I quickly found that studying spirituality in the context of academic religious programs was not my cup of tea. Yeah. And uh, I didn't last very long at that school. I only went for maybe a couple semesters. But that's where uh, I met Simmerit was in Charleston. She was also a student at College of Charleston at that time. And yeah, we were, you know, young in our early 20s. And wow. I moved out to California to study Ayurveda is actually where that and I thrive doing that. Awesome. She came out later on. And how many kids do you guys have? We have a 16 year old, one boy. 16. Well, you have been absolutely wonderful. Can you tell our listeners where um, they can take that quiz? Because you know, for some reason, us silly humans love these quizzes. Yes. <laughs> well, if you just go to uh, lifeforce.yoga, if you type that into your URL, that'll take you to our website, lifeforce.yoga. And you can see Life Force Academy. You can take the Ayurveda quiz. That's the URL is you just type that into your browser, lifeforce.yoga. And okay. And that'll take you right to our website. Okay. So is your wife, is she water? Does water put out fire? Do you guys balance each other out? Uh, well, she's, uh, she's more, we're both fiery, actually. Fiery. Yeah. Me and my husband are both fiery too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pros and cons. Definitely. <laughs> so everything that you offer, the listeners can find in one place. That's amazing. And I'm Pretty telling much. you guys, I'm telling the listeners right now for $25 a month, are you kidding me? Um, you can't even take a yoga class at the local, you know, studio for that. <laughs> yeah. It's and I like video. your Instagram. Oh, thanks. A lot. I have fun with it. I do it myself. Mm-hmm. We also have Life Force Academy has, you know, we're doing a lot, but thanks. Yeah. I like, you know, being in touch. I was just making sure. Yeah, you go to lifeforce.yoga at the very top. It says, learn your Ayurveda body type. Take the quiz at the very top. There's so many free trainings. The Yoga Cat, the Perfect Health is the free training on Ayurveda. Bright and Beautiful, Dharma Business School, Dharma Warrior. There's all sorts of great things. We do live immersion. And Mm -hmm. uh, over in early June, there'll be an immersion that for 200, we have about 200 people in person, but that'll sell out pretty quick. But then mm-hmm. the virtual version of that. And these are, I think, the coolest things we do. So what we always recommend folks to do is like get with a buddy and get an Airbnb or, you know, create a space in your house where you, you can just for, you know, four or five days in a row do the immersion. Life changing. Mm-hmm. You can do it. from This isn't Zoom room stuff. It's a real amazing production. It's transporting. You have a good sound system and a good screen and it'll take you on a journey. So I'm going to ask you one more question before we wrap it up. If you could say something to your 16-year-old self that was sitting there feeling like you didn't fit in, like I feel like so many teens are struggling with right now, what would you say to yourself? Well, I don't know. The problem with that is I was so arrogant. As a 16-year-old, I wouldn't have listened to anything I said. (laughs) You knew everything, didn't you? Yeah. I would say, just wait, man. It's all good. You know, you don't even know, you know, just wait and keep going. I would try to say something to strengthen the self-confidence because, you know, I always felt like I could always feel even when I was younger. And again, 
you know, I couldn't really find the right scene to fit in. I really felt like me, but then I always had this sense that, that I had a brilliance. There was something important about me. And, and I think that's innate to everyone. Not that it, we all have access to feel it at all times, but that every human being is crucially important. And at the nucleus of all of us is an, is a supreme intelligence and a supreme love. And so I don't know what I would say, but the first, the, the word, when you asked me the words that popped out, which says, just wait, you'll see. And you'll see how this is all going to play out. And I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was actually my blog this morning and I posted it on my social media too, is I don't say it quite as eloquently as you. I, I said, fuck happy because I, I, Shannon and I have talked about this before, but we, we tend to forget that happiness is, is just like every other emotion. It's not permanent. And I feel like a lot of these teens get stuck thinking that something's wrong with them if they're not feeling it all the time. And to remember that it's just a wave and nothing's permanent and to remember, let it pass and then just wait for the next miracle or, you know, emotion to come. This too shall pass. Yeah. And now it's time for Break That Shit Down. Yeah, just keep going, everybody. Just And try to have fun. Mm-hmm. Even when things are really rough, try to find a way to have fun. That's why I like yoga practices. And that's why I like what we do at Life Force Academy. Because based on that, it's like there is sometimes that are going to be smooth and easy and other times that are going to be hard, difficult and constricted. Sometimes there's expansion, the tide is coming in. Sometimes there's contraction and the tide is going out. That'll always be the case, no matter what. So what we need to do is have the vitality and the energy. So no matter what's happening in life, externally, internally, that we are able effectively, genuinely to keep track of our joy, keep track of our joy. We still have the ability to smile, the ability to have fun, and because we have a lightness of being that we've been able to cultivate over time, baby steps, baby steps, baby steps, be easy on ourselves. Nothing's going to happen real quick. Nothing substantive is going to happen real quick, but little baby steps are fantastic because when you take little baby steps, just do it for a little while and you'll look back and you can't believe how far you've gone. Oh my gosh. I love it. Speaking of fun, listeners, collect your four to five friends, get an Airbnb, I don't know, get a TP and go out in a field, you know, put a blanket in your basement, whatever it is, and plan to be part of, and what is the name of it again? Life Force Academy Immersion. Immersion. <laughs> Sounds fun to me. <laughs> it was so nice to meet you. Thank you so much. Thanks for being with us today. We hope you will come back next week. If you like what you hear, don't forget to rate, like, and subscribe. Thank you. We rise to lift you up. Thanks for listening.